Hello and welcome to another Milwaukee Admirals podcast with Charlie Larson on Aaron Sims. We're going to dive right into it. Exciting to talk to this guy uh, from his home in Arizona, where it's about 70 degrees warmer than it is in Milwaukee right now. Uh, his former Admirals head coach, Claude Noel. Good to talk to you, Claude. It's, it's always great to talk to you. It was great to see you, by the way, in person uh, back at the end of February when you came to town with, for uh, Darren Hadar's retirement ceremony. How, what was that like for you? Well, you know what? It's funny you talk about that because I was thinking about, and I just put it off, and I don't know why, because I've got nothing but time like everybody else. But I wanted to, actually, I wanted to thank everybody, and it was great seeing everybody. I had a wonderful time. I, I didn't really know what to expect and how it would go. Uh, you know, I hadn't, hadn't been back in a while, and the Admirals game, hadn't hadn't been back to the, well, what I know is the Mecca. It's no longer the Mecca, but the, the older rink and uh played in that rink and and I I knew that uh, I had been in there before because our offices had moved when towards the end of my tenure there right down in the basement and stuff so I I really didn't know uh much of the building and how the locker room and everything else but I I had an absolute wonderful time I I raved about it I came home said so happy I went saw so many people and you know, you you don't you don't appreciate the people and and how how things they've helped you, you've helped them, and you went down this journey to win, and it was so special, you know. And seeing Darren Hadar and his family and his wife, and kids, and it was unreal. I really enjoyed. It. I I watched a little bit of the game that night, but I talked to quite a few people I hadn't seen, and it was it was a really really good time. And I left the, the next day, so it was in and out, but was special. I, I really enjoyed it. It was a great time. Very good. Hey, I, while we're sort of talking about that era, Darren Hadar there, Charlie and I have talked about this a lot, that I want uh, your take on it. Um, first round of the playoffs in 2006, the Admirals against the Iowa Stars, uh, and uh, Jake Moreland has to play in game seven for the Milwaukee Admirals, uh, and you need that win, obviously, to go on and eventually end up in the finals. But also in that game, uh, a couple of guys came back from Nashville, Jordan Tutu specifically. And I'm curious your memory of that, because I remember it being very hush-hush, very secretive. You know what? It's funny. Like we had, uh, we had, we didn't have a, we didn't have any goals. We had two, two yeah, goals. Finley, Finley got hurt and Pekka was up. Yeah. Yeah. We had two goals from East Coast League and, uh, was it Jordan Tutu only him that came back, or did at, it, at it, first? Yes, at for first that game, it was yeah. just him. Weber. Yep. No, he Weber was, and Upshaw came back after uh, after Nashville lost to San Jose. Yep. Okay. Okay. So okay. So Jordan came back. Yeah. Well, it was. It was. I remember that. You know what? And and I really wasn't nervous too much. Jake Jake Morning had played well for us and was playing pretty well. It was more of the unknown. How would he hold up under the pressure? How would the team play? You don't want your team to play sensitive or, or uh, a little bit reluctant or on, on their heels. You want to put it all out there, you know, and, and when, you know, then you got the opponent and then you wonder, well, what, what's the, what are they going to come with and stuff like that. But there's a lot of things I remember. Well, that, that game was, well, it was a little nerve-wracking game, but we I, I can't remember how the game went, but I it was good. I thought Jake Mormon played really well for us. I thought that uh, our team was real good. I thought we got a real boost from 
uh, from Jordan coming in, yeah. that really helped us. And I think that from a morale standpoint, I think that was really, uh, that was really a, a good moment that really boosted us. And the, the one thing that was interesting about that series, we, we, Played against we played against the uh, Iowa who was Dave Allison who I'd worked with Dave and both Dave and I got let go in uh, two thousand and uh, two two thousand two yeah, yeah two thousand two and then you know, we found our way back to to play each other and the other thing that I remember distinctively was that year we lost Chris Beach at the trade yeah. deadline to Washington but he went right to Hershey and. We never had a replacement. He was like our number one or two center. And uh, we never really replaced him until uh, Ray came to me one day and said, I can't remember when it was, it might have been January, but he came to me and said, look at uh, Dallas are, are looking to loan Zach Stortini from Iowa. And I remember coaching against Zach because he was a first year player, not a very good skater, but a rugged player and played with a lot of vim and vigor and played with a lot of enthusiasm and I thought oh sure he said would you would you consider taking him I'd said sure we had a spot at center so I thought well let's bring him in play him at center or right wing we played him as a third line center I think or the the 10th board I can't remember exactly what but he was a third line center force but I remember when we played Iowa I thought to myself well here's the guy that's going to be pretty motivated and he was another factor yeah. in our room and as a young player and in a, a guy that really wanted to get past this this round you know past uh, Iowa and so I can't I can't remember the score I, I'd be guessing but what was it four two what was four, four to one yeah four to one four to one Who and scored we first? Uh, scored first two two did two two scored on his first shift well, actually, it was later. I looked it up. It was it was about eighteen minutes of the first period. So oh, it, it was, was late in the first. Yeah, but he laid out a guy like on his first shift. Okay, Just yeah. Drilled a guy, and that like I don't know if there was twenty five hundred people in the stands, but it sounded like about ten thousand after that hit. You know what? What's what I think is neat about that, if I'm not mistaken, they said to Jordan in Nash. He's up in Nashville with the rest of the guys, and they're playing against San Jose in the first round. I think it's San Jose. And they say, Jordan, you're not going to play tonight. Do you want to go play for Milwaukee tomorrow? And he said, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. And he came down. And I think that, that says a lot about him and the type of competitor he was to come, you know, to basically he could have been like, no, I'm going to stay here. Instead, he doesn't. He comes down and he helps us win the series. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, that, was a, that, was another, that was a really good year. I, I remember that one. Fairly well, you know, you, you, you coach so many games and people probably think, well, how can you not remember those things? Well, it's just after a while, they all intertwine, you know. Right. But I, I remember that, that series and I remember the final, you know, playing against uh, Hershey and they had a good team and Chris Beach was a real good player for him. Turned out that he was probably the difference, probably the diff the difference. And, and the bigger thing that stands out in that, that uh, well, not the sixth game, but it's more the game. I remember clearly the game three in Hershey. We went and uh, I think we beat them 2-1 or 3-2 and we outshot them, I don't know what it was, 42 to 14 or 16. And I think that scared them, really scared them. And I think that that woke them up. But what more than anything what happened then was that they got to Pecorini 
and they got to him in his head and they were in warm up and they were in his crease and they were chirping him and and I don't think he knew how to handle that. I don't think that he was really aware of what was happening so much and and his game just went off the rails. And I remember I had to pull him in game four, pull him in game five, pull him in game six. And I remember in game six at home. You know, you we we pulled him again and uh and I remember during the game I said to, to my assistant Todd uh Todd Richards run the bench I'm gonna, I, and I went in with uh, Pekka and sat in the locker room with him when the game was going on is that right did you really? yeah. yeah wow yeah when the game was going on and because I was trying to get him to just calm down and just to just not look so much at the big picture and just try to focus and because I wanted to put him back in yeah and you know it never it never worked it never worked out and every time I watch Pekka play I watch him in Nashville I, I always get myself concerned with him in the big moments, you know, and I, and that was, that was a hard uh, spring for us and ah, for, for me a bit, I was dealing with, with, with Pekka trying, cause when you coach, you just always trying to help players, you know? Right. I, I, I thought maybe it was a, a learning stage for him. And I had spoke extensively with Mitch Korn, who was the Nashville goalie coach at the time when it was all over after about three weeks later, we, we had discussed in length what, what, uh, you know, what happened and, and how we could help him moving forward. But he was, he was a great goalie for us. He was really great. He that, was super, super. that brings up a question I have is that Pekka comes in, he was drafted in a round that doesn't even exist anymore. What, and barely even played was scouted in warmups. Right. Uh, and so he Over comes to Milwaukee Brian Finley's the number one guy. When did you and Todd realize that, hey, this guy's really good. We need to play him. Oh, it was early. It was early. They had seen him either in exhibition. Uh, our Nashville scout knew him from being a backup, but saw him maybe a little bit in, in a regulation game or two or in warm-up. But I think he kind of went on the 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 word. Uh, he kind of went on the uh, the word of the coaching staff and stuff like that. It didn't take long because if people, if anybody knows Pekka at all, he's a working maniac. And when he started, he's big man. He was really athletic. He was uh, he was a really. It didn't take long. You could see in practice this guy is. Oof. This guy works, and he's big, and he's quick, and he's he was all of what we – there was no adjustment period for me with him. We, we didn't have a whole lot of trouble playing him, and he came right in. He was, he was really good for us. He was really good for us. He, you know, <laughs> there's so many ways that he helped. You guys, I don't know if you remember, but we had – well, you would remember, uh, Vili Koistinen came in. Yeah. I think it was 06. Yeah, the next year, 06, 07, right? He was, he was a good player for us, too. He was a Finnish guy, but Pekka really took him under his wing and really helped him. And he had a young son and was married and trying to get acclimated to Milwaukee. He, he was so good with him. It was, you know, I, it was, he was so good with him. And, you know, it, you'd be hard pressed to find a person in this world that does not have uh, 
does ha- has a bad thing to say about Pecorini, in yeah. my opinion. Yeah. He, this guy was was great, but we had a lot of those guys. I mean, you can say that about quite a few players. We had some good some good kids coming up. You know, yeah. Darren Hadar. You can go down Lister. There there's some quality people, and that's what I really enjoyed about my trip back to Milwaukee a couple of months ago. We've always said, and I say this to the the players every year that, you know. Nashville does a good job of bringing in good players, but good people also. And I can oh, count on the, on the, on, on one hand, the number of guys that just weren't good guys in 20 years of being around the players, like they're good oh, players and good people. Always really good. You know, and it was, it was really good. You know, that was a really good, uh, I had been with a few different organizations by the time I got to David Poyle in Milwaukee, I'd been with Dallas for quite some time. And uh, when I first started off and I was in Kalamazoo, then came over to Milwaukee and, and Nashville had just started up in 98 and I was assistant for the four years and then left, I let go and left, but man, they did a real good job. They, and I remember in 98, my first year, I thought, I thought our team in Milwaukee, not to get away from the subject, but I thought our team in Milwaukee in 98 was, was almost better than the team in, in Nashville. They were an expansion team. We had some good players. We had uh, t- uh, Timonen, and we had Scratchkins, and we had oh, uh, what was his name? The Russian guy Yakmanov, and uh, oh, we had some good players. And and you're right; they always had good character, and they weren't really troublesome. I, I thought it was a really good relationship, and I'm glad to see that they're still there. And you know what? I'm glad to see they, they've had a lot of success. We were talking about this. I was talking about this the other day with. Uh, with somebody. Well, I talked to Lane, Lane Lambert, who coached there for a few years after I left when I brought him in. He, uh, he lives here in Phoenix. So we, we were talking about the Milwaukee days and stuff like that, but there's, there, there's, there's been a lot of good people going through there. And now, and now you got Carl Taylor, who I grew up with Carl. Carl's younger than me, but we used to play summer hockey together. When I'd go back and play summer hockey, he might've been playing junior and I was in pro. And so I know him quite well. And when we went back, <laughs> it was funny. When we went back for that, re- for that uh, Darren Hadar thing a couple months ago, I remember you're, you were, you were going to, Carl was going to take us in the room and just watch the meeting. And I thought, okay, this will be interesting because I've been, I've ran those meetings. Yeah. Been to a million probably. <laughs> yeah. And his video guy was running the meeting. And I, we were sitting with, with Danny LaCour and, and Fred Berry and uh, Gino Cavallini. And I thought to myself, oh, this is going to be interesting for them to watch this because it's a real, you know, we're kind of of the throwback era, especially if you have, or you're not current in the If you're not in the game anymore. Video, yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we never went through that stuff. I mean, this wasn't the type of meetings I was accustomed to, but they really weren't that accustomed <laughs> Those types of meetings lasted about six minutes, and I thought to myself, "They got to be walking out of there thinking, wow, did you catch that? Did you catch any of that?'" <laughs> the players are like just listening, and and I'm thinking to myself, "Yeah, here this co- it's covered. They're covering all the stuff." And, and I thought, "Well, that'll that'll blur your vision there. I'll tell you, especially from our era." <laughs> it's quite funny. Hey, you mentioned Kimo Timonen a little bit ago. Uh, yeah. Doug Agnew. Doug Agnew told the story. Uh, and I'm curious if you can corroborate or not um, that Nashville was looking for a defenseman and wondering with you guys who should be called up and maybe you and Al Sims 
were pointing in somebody else's direction and trying to keep chemo teaming and down as long as you possibly could. You know what? No, no, because I remember distinctively, I remember distinctively telling Barry Trotz that this guy, this guy's going to be better than, than what you've got there. And this guy's going to be an unreal player. Like, he, and I remember having him for whatever the three, four months of that year. He was so good. And I thought, oh my God, this guy, this guy's, this guy's in the wrong league, Barry. He belongs with you guys. So we, you know, I, personally, I didn't, and I wasn't the one that would have been, as an assistant, I wasn't the one that would have been uh, the, the one uh, in the dealing, with, all the with, time, yeah. Yeah, dealing with those type of things so much. But I remember having that conversation with him, with Scratchkins. We, we had some good players. We had uh, Danny, Dan Kesmer was with us for a while, yeah. I think, that year. Oh, yeah, they're, they're. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think. I think he was too good a player to keep him down, keep him in Milwaukee. It's a matter of time. And look at the career he had. Right. And I think Thanks. he was twenty three or twenty four when we had him. So a little bit and older. He had a heck of a career. Yeah. Yeah, he really, really did. Player. He really did. So, uh, you know, you've been, you're part of the Admirals organization as a coach. Obviously, that's what most people remember you as. But you are also a member of the organization as a player in what is certainly the most ignominious season in Admirals history. <laughs> Can you just talk a little bit about that, about the 87-88 team playing at Wilson Park, uh, losing well, 19 games in a row. You got hurt, right? Uh, yeah. It yeah, was just a dis- my, Phil almost hurt. died. Uh, yeah. Just a disaster, the- a disaster of a year. Can you just talk a little bit about that year? Well, it's it's funny, you know. Like I was thinking about this the other day, knowing that we're going to do this pod, this podcast, and I thought, you know, I my my uh, I, I came from Kalamazoo, Michigan, where I was there with Billy Inglis, and this is when the the uh, the IHL was in transition. The the leagues now were starting to be taken over by affiliations. Minnesota North Stars was going into Kalamazoo. I had two young children, and they were they were coming in uh, with the the Minnesota people and putting all their players there. So there was no chance of returning. Uh, there was nobody coming back. And so they had changed and I was 32. So I was looking to play one more year <clears throat> and I had contacted uh, Phil Whitliff and the talk to Phil and we agreed on a contract. So I was going to, to Milwaukee, knew a lot about Milwaukee, wasn't aware that we were, uh, I can't remember so much I'm sure I was aware we were playing at Wilson Park in the transition between the two rinks. And so that was a little bit different. But we had the biggest thing I remember is that, wow, the biggest thing I remember, and I've said this the other day, was that was that it was not a winning season. It was a losing season. We set a record for the most losses in a row. 19. And 19, and uh, oh, it was unreal. It was unreal. And the funny thing was was that here we were, playing in Wilson Park and we had we had nine or ten of our Milwaukee Admirals players and then we had the other 10 12 were sprinkled affiliated players on loan that we got guys from Hartford guy from Boston one guy from here there we were all over the place and guys were in and out and you know playing all over the place and, and our team was really was really uh, disjointed. And then I remember the coach got fed up with this losing, like we all did. 
and he said that for every loss we were going, every loss that we incurred, we would get fined. I can't remember what it was like a hundred bucks. Oh, and then if we lost, if we lost two, then it would double and triple. Well, we lost about <laughs> in a row. Well, you can imagine the the uh, the Milwaukee players owned by Milwaukee were furious because we had to. We were supposed to pay this fine, and I thought, well, this isn't very good. The other 10 guys, they couldn't touch their checks because they were by Hartford and by Boston. So we're thinking, well, what? how does this work? We're getting hit for the fines with nine or 10 guys, and the others aren't? I mean, and I thought to myself, this isn't doing the team much good because our team now was fragmented really bad because some guys were – we're ready to pay and other guys weren't fine, not fine. I thought, oh my God, I've never seen any, and it was just a nightmare. But you know what? I, I enjoyed the year. It, they, they turned out the season playing there, practicing there was fine. I didn't, I didn't have a real problem with it. It was a smaller rink. I think they did a good job in renovating it, trying to make it accommodating to the fans. And the fans were great. They were great. They were, they knew the team was in transition and I don't imagine they, fans don't love losing any more than anybody else you know but it was really tough and I remember playing against Denver and I got I got hit from the side coming through the neutral zone and I got uh, hit right off the side and and uh, I was out cold five minutes on the ice my wife had left with the kids to drive home and she was listening to the game on the radio I think she oh, turned geez. around and came back I woke up I woke up in the ambulance yeah yeah, wow. yeah they asked me where I was born or whatever and I was like "Ooh, I spent a couple of nights in the hospital and it's funny because I remember sitting there and, you know, you don't know this until you've had a concussion. And I had a pretty bad concussion. I was out for quite a while. And uh, I was in the hospital for two nights, I think. And uh, there was a couple of players came to visit me with my wife and I was talking to them. And I thought I was speaking fine. But what was coming out of my mouth to them was just a babble of, <laughs> unknowns and, and, I, and I looked at not yeah not no one spoke back and returned the answer because they didn't know what I said and I looked at the oh. three or four of them and I said what what's up I said did you, you hear yourself I'm like no what happened said, oh my you didn't you don't make any sense I'm like well <laughs> sorry <laughs> I guess this conversation's <laughs> not going to go very far <laughs> but I, I was out quite a I was out quite a while I, w I remember uh, I was on workers' comp and went back home to North Bay. Felt fine, and I had to go see a, 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 a neurologist in Toronto. And yeah, put me through a couple of tests and said, "Nope, you're not ready." And I thought, "Oh boy, this is a couple of months later." It was, it was, yeah, but but you know, it all turned out. It all turned out okay. I don't know if I've got any adverse effects, although some of my former players might say no there's there's some backlash there for sure what, you, what you're saying though there that's kind of ahead of its time like yeah. it wasn't until 10 12 years ago that yeah. we would have had that kind of treatment for a concussion on a regular basis oh yeah oh yeah well yeah I, but i i was i was out i was out cold and sure. there was no and you know what that, that was that was my last game as a player i was retiring and uh, that happened in march we had another month i think and i I didn't play the last month. I didn't get clearance. And yeah, and, and you know, slowly I started to come back around a little bit. But I remember I write in a letter. I remember writing a letter. I had some time. So I, I wrote a letter. I can't remember to who. 
and made a copy of it and kept the letter. I think I still have it. And even when I read it, it doesn't make any sense. I was like, oh, jeez, well, you must sc sc scatter brains you had going then. But that's the that's that's the type of things that concussions can do. But but those years, and then that that's when we played we played that three or four game series up in the UP. And that's when Phil went up there with uh, who was the other? There was another guy gentleman with him, Howie uh, Larson, remember, I think. It, I think it was Howie yes. Larson, the equipment manager. Howie was Howie, yeah, yeah. Went up with him, and they 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 were lucky. They they almost got killed. I think oh. a, a a log. A log truck, truck discharged their uh, discharged the all their load onto their car. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Phil was Phil was in rough shape for quite a long time. That was that was a tough go for for that was a tough year for for a lot of people in a lot of different areas. Even it would have been really tough for the front office staff trying to maneuver this that season. You know, you, when you look back at a new venue and you're waiting to get in and you're not you're not winning. And, oh man. And, and and you have a an owner who's and Lloyd Pettit who is known to be in the business of what's going on. Like he, yeah. he, he was not afraid from what it sounds like to go down the locker room and tell the boys, hey, I need a better effort out there. And maybe that didn't start until they got into the Bradley Center when he realized he had just spent ninety million dollars or ninety million dollars of his wife's yeah. money. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. There was there were so many things going that year, you know. Oh, there were so many. And then I, you know, it's the same thing. You meet some real good players, and we had, we had some some good players come through there. But when you lose like that, it's it, you really, you really, when you win, you really appreciate winning. And when you lose, you can really tell the issues that happen when you're on a team and you lose. Now nothing gets swept under the rug because when you win, everything's rosy. You just the problems don't exist. When you lose. It's it, now your team starts dividing itself. You start criticizing everything. You, you don't see you don't see the, the the bright side of anything. Even your attitude, your own attitude, starts to take a hit. And it's it's really hard to recapture that positive energy that you get from winning. You know, you try to build the culture and you can't. And losing stands in the way, and everything gets micromanaged. I remember that year we had rented a house in West Allis. And we had just moved there. And I think a player had lived there the year before. It was a great little house, furnished. People left and went to Arizona for the winter. And they come back when the season was over. And I remember it was a great little house, really good neighborhood. And a lady had, had uh, I don't know what happened, it was an assault and, and died just about six blocks away. Well, my wife was uneasy pretty much that whole <laughs> that whole year. And, and our kids were only one and three i think then they weren't very old so yeah it was it was but but yeah, you know what that was the, the start of the the things in milwaukee and you know milwaukee i love milwaukee milwaukee is a really good town at least in my opinion it's a really good town at the weather it is what it is it doesn't bother me so much but i i like i like the whole the whole scenario my wife and i were talking about this the other day I, I loved, we had a good house in Milwaukee. We lived up in Thienesville. We had a great spot when I went back to coach there and it, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoy that town. I enjoy the, I enjoy the state cause I'm a big trout fisherman. And so I could get out and I'd go to all, all kinds of areas. I don't, I always end up at uh, Wausau and up and farther up in Menominee and fish up there all over the place. There's some great spots there. It's funny you say that because I, one of the things I was going to lead with today was uh, 
you, you, yes, it's, you're in Arizona, and as we're physically distancing from people, uh, it would be great to be out in a trout stream. But I can't imagine there are too many trout streams out there in the Phoenix area. No, not in Phoenix, but you know, it, it is here. There are, there are here. You got to be creative a little bit, but I can go 90 miles, so an hour and a half, two hours, and I can be fishing in a river. You have to go to elevation, which sure. is, uh, you know, and, and you have to go up to 3,000 feet at least, because at 3,000 feet, the cactus don't grow anymore. And the weather differences. I fish four hours in, in Arizona, four hours from, uh, just to give you an idea, four hours in Phoenix in the summertime. If it's 106 in Phoenix, I'll go up to Alpine, which is a small town, and they've got a great river there, the Black River, that uh, it, up there, I'll go camping four nights. I'll go Monday to come back Friday, and uh, it's 70, 74, 75, and 55 at night. It's beautiful, you know, but that's 11,000 feet elevation, and they, they, they have trout up there, but they're stocked, and some are natural, but they they have a lot of little the lakes here are, are stocked, but they're all up in the elevation. And you don't have to go far. Like Sedona, Arizona is a beautiful, yeah, yeah, heavy tourist place. But I was just there last week fishing. And there's a trout stream there called Oak Creek that you and you gotta be you gotta be creative and patient, but they're there and uh, and I've caught them out of there a lot. Yeah, so so I find my way, but there's New Mexico's there's a trout river in New Mexico, the San Juan River. It's unreal. It's world renowned, and the, the the fish are so big and so plentiful there that they're they're bunting my boots when I'm in the river. They are bunting <laughs> my my boots because I got my waders on. The water's 44 degrees, and they because they they sit behind your boots as the water comes down, and as you shuffle all the all the I'm not going to get into the, the trout uh, lives, but all the, the the insects and the nymphs all come up from underneath, so they feed off of that. So when you're standing in the water, they're behind you, and when you shuffle, they're just feeding off the stuff coming off the, sure. uh, the, the, the rocks and stuff. It's unreal. Unreal. Wow. Wow. I, go back, let's go back five years before you came to Milwaukee. You're playing with Toledo, uh, a great team that won the championship, the Turner Cup championship that year against Milwaukee. Uh, what were your, what are your memories from that series? Wow, there was, first of all, Milwaukee had a good team. They, they had a good team. And they, when I played in the, in the IHL then for Toledo or even Kalamazoo, Milwaukee always had a good team. It was pretty much the, it was pretty much the key place in the league, one of them. I and mean, Kalamazoo was a good place as well. Milwaukee was a real good place to play. They had some really good players there too. You know, Danny LaCour, Freddie Berry, Dale Yakachuk, and you can go on and on. You know, Lindsey Middlebrook I played with. He was there for a while. Uh, but the year that we won there, what I remember the most was some, some of the high-scoring games. We had a few high-scoring games. And uh, you guys had a guy, the, you know, hockey was a lot tougher back then, but you guys had a, a guy by the name of Davies on defense. It was just, uh, he was just a terror for me. Every time I got on the ice, he took pleasure in running my lily white into the boards <laughs> everywhere. I mean, they could chase me everywhere all the time because we had a good line with Dirk Graham and Dave Falkenberg. And I remember winning in the, the one thing I do remember <laughs> when we won, we won the cup in Milwaukee, we stopped the bus to go get beer on a Sunday. I think it was or whatever. No, not open. They don't sell beer on Sundays in the supermarkets. We're like, 
what? We this is to, Milwaukee. So to, I know. We had to wait. Not then. We had to wait to get out of state, the state of, uh, of, uh, of Wisconsin to get beer somewhere. Because we were going home. The season was over. It was like, well, we got home. Of a, it was light out when we got home from, uh, from <laughs> Milwaukee. But I remember, uh, I remember the, some of the games. We had a couple of high-scoring games. We had one in our building. It was just wild. I can't remember. The guys were – we had a reunion last year in May here in Phoenix with that, that group uh, of that 82, 83 team. It was great seeing the guys again. And you know what, Brian Kinsella, who I played with had passed away. And that's what, that's what uh, uh, started someone saying, look at before we more guys pass away, maybe we should get together one last time. And we did, it was, it was a great, great fun. How does that, you, you mentioned you couldn't find beer. That sounds reminiscent of what happened in 2004 when you won in Wilkes-Barre Scranton. Yeah, 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 we did too, yeah. Well, yeah, I, yeah, I remember that. I remember that series. That series was good. That, that I was, you know, that series in, in, in I remember talking to, uh, they, uh, Wilkes-Barre, uh, Wilkes-Barre uh, Wilkes was affiliated with Pittsburgh and they were playing in the East and we had won the West and we were facing off against them and, I remember calling the coach in Hartford, who is now assistant coach in, in Las Vegas. And uh, I, said, I said to him, you know, how was the series? Would you mind sending me some video, some tape? And he said to me, he said, well, they, they have a good team. And 12 or four, 12, 13 guys had played a lot of the year in Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh were out, so they got all sent back. And what I remember getting the tape from them. And I thought, oh, my God, that's a good team. Whoa. And I, it, it, it kind of shocked me, scared me a bit, you know, because I thought, oh, my goodness, that's, that's some veteran guys. And then you start picking things apart and stuff. And I, I had asked them one question, you know, what are some of their weaknesses and where, where, can, where can I get it after this? You know, what can we exploit and take advantage of? And he said, well, their coach is a loose cannon. And that was Michel Therrien. Yeah. And he's pretty emotional, you know, and he said, I think you can kind of get to him because he is just wound up and he's wired. So I thought, okay, well, let's see how this goes. So we're at home in game, we won game one, I think in overtime, we were a little overtime. bit lucky to win it. Yeah, we were a little bit lucky to win it. And I, and I remember game two, we're up 7-1 going into the third. And they scored two quick goals to make it 7-3. And I thought, look, and I'm going to put things aside here. I, 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 I get the respect factor where you don't call timeouts when you're blowing a team out. This wasn't the case in my opinion. I could care less what people thought. Because right. I didn't like where, how our team was thinking. This and is I thought, there's too, much, there's too much time on the clock to go. There's 14, 15 minutes to go in the period. And we've just given up two goals because we're not focused. We think yeah. this game's over. So I called the timeout. And when I called the timeout, I make sure to put my back because the, the benches are together and the glass is, is the partition between. So I put my back to the other team. So I'm speaking outwards to the, my team and they can't really hear me as I'm projecting out. So I'm looking at all the players on the bench and I'm, I'm yelling at them because there's music playing, which is one of the annoying things that happens when you call a timeout. <laughs> and I'm yelling to the players and, 
Not one of them's looking at me. They're all looking over my head, and I'm thinking, what the hell are they doing? So I look over my shoulder at the, the, behind me, and here's Michel Therrien. He's climbed up over the glass, and he's just <laughs> going nutty. And he's, he's just losing it. And I'm thinking to myself, I didn't say a word to him. I thought, I only got 30 seconds, so I'm wasting my time on you. Right. I got to talk to these guys. So I'm trying to get us back, you know, and he was losing it. But the interesting thing was he made that a pivotal point of the series. That was his rallying point. So we won that game at home. Then we went for two games there. And I remember we beat them in the, uh, in the game three. And, and I, I will never forget this. And I think I spoke, I can't remember if I spoke about this at Darren Hadar saying, but I remember it like it was yesterday. They, they were up, we were up 2-1, and they were hard matching us, which means that as I was putting out my top line of Gamash, uh, Fiddler, and Hadar, he was matching that line. He had last changed, so he was matching his checkers, his top checkers against them, but his better players were on the bench. So, so he was hard matching pretty much the whole game, and even with seven minutes to go, I said to Todd Richards, I said, I can't, he's down 2-1. He's going to have to let go of this match. Because if I keep playing Fiddler and those guys, which is my best line, he's putting out his checkers. And I thought, he's got to let this go. There's seven minutes to go. So he's hard matching all the way till then. And I had never, every stoppage of play and whistle, I had never, I would never, I would start with Fiddler's line. And then he'd put out his checker. So in essence, I was controlling his bench. Right. So his best players, well, they weren't playing. And I could, I would look over and I could see him. They were just smoking. And I thought, well, it's your coach. Great but for us. He wants to hard match. Yeah, he wants to hard match. So fine. And they weren't happy. There was no rhythm to their game. Our guys knew what was going on. So every whistle I'd put out Fiddler, Gamash, and Hadar, and he'd put out his guys and especially neutral zone because they were near the benches. So he would put out his checking line, and I would just – I'd tell him, go out, get the puck deep, get the change, and I would throw the next line so I'd get my players out there. Now he's back in his zone with his checking line, but Fiddler's line's not there. They come, they come off. So it was just unreal. Then they got a power play. They got – we got a penalty with seven minutes to go, and they scored to make it 2-2, and it went into overtime. And I'll never forget the play came to the slot with uh, Hadar, and he must have had two, three guys on him hacking, whacking, and he just barreled through. And, he, and Darren's not a big guy. No. He just willed his way through, fired it, and scored the overtime winner to win. I think it was 3-2, and it was unreal. And I thought, perfect. But the key was in that game was that we were done that game, so we had a day in between. So the next day, we go to practice at the practice facility. And we walk in the rink. They're supposed to go before us and practice before us. So we're, we're all at the rink, the main rink, and we're going to take a bus over to the practice rink. We go to the main rink, and I remember walking by their, their locker room and his office, and then nothing really was happening then. But what happened was that he, his ploy to his players was that he said he sent them all home. 
So they're down three, nothing. He sent them all home because he's, he was mad at them. And he thought I'm going to use reverse psychology and tell them you guys better figure out whether you want to continue to play or not, because you know, there's no, I don't think Gooden on the ice is going to do one bit of good. You guys might as well just go home and figure out if you want to continue playing. And I got wind of that. The trainers told me all their guys are gone. They didn't, they're not going on the ice before us. So I said, well, can we go on a little bit earlier? Yeah, sure. So we go on. I remember talking to the players and I said, I just think they made the biggest mistake of the playoffs. I think they made a huge mistake. And I told the players why. I said, because when your team's losing, you don't want to be fragmented and going all over. You want to be together right. with a plan. You know, I get the emotional part of coaching. That is sometimes your motivation. But when you're down 3 nothing, you, you want, in my opinion, you want a plan. So we were having a, a fun day. We, were at, we had about a 30, 40-minute skate, a little couple of drills, a little bit of uh, fun, fun game. Off we went. We had great enthusiasm. And off we went, and the next game, it was unreal. I thought I was coaching an NHL team. Our players were so good. And I remember going into the locker room before the game, and, you know, I mean, you try to motivate, but really you're, you're going to motivate, you know. And I thought, you know, we had a couple players, and Tony Herkus, uh, who was living in – well, who had a house, I think, in Milwaukee at some point, but – he was living in Florida and his family was in Florida, I believe with the girls who were in school and we had Wade Flaherty, his wife was out in Vancouver. And so we had two or three guys that we wanted that didn't have their families there. And I, and I remember telling the players, I said, we need to make sure we close this out. That's the tough. This is going to be the toughest game and we need to send these guys home. These guys have got families. They made sacrifices along with the families. So that we can play and we can play a fourth game. We don't want to be getting into playing any more than that. We need to make sure we buckle down and we send our players back home to their families and we end this thing. And we came out just storming. And I thought, oh, gee, we got out quickly to a lead. It was 5 nothing, 5-1 maybe. We ended up winning, I think, 7-1 or something or whatever it ended up being. But it, it, we, were, we, were, we were playing against a very demoralized team. And it showed. And we were we had our A game, and they didn't have theirs. You know, you had you you might not remember this. Maybe you do. We'd won Game Three, and the whole staff gets in a 15 passenger van, and Woj is driving, and we're in the yeah, it's, I it, yeah, it's a Saturday, and we're we're playing on a Game Four is on a Sunday, and you call me. We're in the middle of Ohio somewhere, and you call me, and you say, Charlie, what are we going to do if we win tomorrow? And I was like, I don't know party have fun well, he, and you said well how are we going to have what are we going to have for champagne in the locker room because you know that pennsylvania is a dry county on sundays which is sort of reminiscent of what you're saying about milwaukee back in 82 right. 83 <laughs> right. really came full circle right. and so we stopped at in ohio the last place before the last stop in ohio i think before you get to pennsylvania and we uh, went to, uh, I, it was like a Jewel Osco or some, uh, a convenience. We went to a liquor store, got about six bottles. Then we stopped at a Jewel Osco and said, you got any champagne? They said, sure. We got this stuff for two ninety nine or whatever it was. And we bought every last bottle of it. And I thought to myself, what do these people think we're doing with these huge, these, the, with 
30 bottles of champagne. This like what a, kind of party are we having at 30 bottles of champagne at three bucks a bottle, which was the Admiral's budget back then. <laughs> that's what, that's all we had to spend probably. And then uh, we, we called it operation hockey gods after we were up about six to one after this, we didn't want to bring it in the building. Cause you know, we don't want to jinx us. So after it was right after it was five to one, after two periods, we uh, Woj and Bitter, John Bitter and I, we hop in the car and we go back to the hotel where we had the champagne on ice, put it in a stick bag or an equipment bag and haul it back into the arena for it to be there as we, uh, after we win it. It was, uh, Oh yeah. No, I, re I remember, I remember that. I remember that. And, and that whole thing, we ended up going to uh, a bar right by the, by the rink that we had a great time. As right. a matter of fact, when I was in Milwaukee uh, in January, I ran into a guy that came up, he introduced himself, and said, I was dr drinking with you that night you guys wanted in Wilkes-Barre. I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> he said, how was I? Was I all right? Or was I, was I comatose then or what? Yeah, but he, yeah, so we had some laughs. But, no, I, I, re I remember, I remember, yeah, you guys coming down. We were so, you know, I wanted to just, kind of keep focused and not get too far out of, out of hand here even though we're up three nothing we didn't we didn't we didn't want any of the wives or the families or the girls or any of them to come there it wasn't superstition it was just more let's just focus we didn't want distractions let's just focus on winning the game like and we and so we didn't have anybody there you know compared to when Hershey wanted in our uh, our building they had everybody there. They had everybody on the ice. It was just un unreal. And I, I just didn't feel comfortable, you know. And I thought, well, and it's too bad because you should be sharing that with your your families and stuff like that, you know. But but I was just one of those things that I didn't want to get too caught up in that. I'm glad that you guys all came because you guys were – everybody was pretty excited. But you guys had put in a lot of, a lot of hard work there through the years, and this was a chance to, to celebrate. We had a great time after that game. That was that was a that was a special time, special time. It was, and then we took How the much? fifteen passenger van back the next day. Left at seven in the morning when the team flew back. We hop in the fifteen passenger van and have to drive all the way back, get, getting to the airport to meet the Calder Cup about twenty minutes before you guys flew in, which was pretty awesome. I drove the did whole you, way. Did you mind guys, you? Did the team break down? Did the bus break down or something like that yeah. on the way to the airport? Yeah, yeah, we had a problem. We had a problem. We had the we had the uh, we had the the air vent thing above the uh, the bus, and we we a couple of guys had climbed out there and they had the cup up there, and I'm thinking, okay, fellas, just take it easy. We had beer on the bus, and it was just yeah. And I think it broke down, and then we yeah, because I can't remember what exactly happened with the bus, but we were by then everybody was just kind of like still partying and laughing and joking, <laughs> and so yeah, we eventually we, we we made it back, but it was it was great. Yeah, it when was you, a great time. When you come back, is there a – because you said all the guys, you know, guys are from other parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, is, yeah. There, is there much of a celebration when you come back then with a the cup? There was. I think we had a thing at the Bradley Center. It was, it was real good. We had the players all there and everybody there. So it was good. We, we, we did it. I thought it was very well done. We did it right away, which is good. It didn't linger long because players want to get home. It's June and – you want to get back to the families. And so I think we, we arranged everything and it, we had a good little deal at the Bradley center. It was fun. Yeah, it was really good. It was well done. We, we really enjoyed it. I enjoyed, it. I remember, you know, going up and talking a little bit about some of the things and reminiscing about some of the series and what we went through really fun times. 
Uh, one of the guys on that team played for you for three years or parts of three years. That was obviously a key contributor was Simone Gamash. Uh, and I've always, I've, I've heard this story a, a couple times and maybe it was you who told me it, but the next year we're, he's playing in the, uh, uh, that's the lockout year, 0405. And Simon is playing in the all-star game and it's 500 bucks on the line. And after the first period is done, guys are Jason Spezza's playing in this game and like the big time NHL players that are able to play because of the lockout and they're all dogging it out there during the game. And Simon comes in and he's pissed off because he wants the 500 bucks. So he comes in the locker room and he's yelling at the guys like, Hey, can you play? Like, <laughs> I'd like this money. Let's get it going. Is that, uh, can you corroborate that story? Well, that was it. That was that. All, all our Milwaukee guys were kind of the same. They knew what I was like. Marcel Dion was was the the uh, the co coach as a celebrity coach, the honorary you know, coach, whatever. right? Yeah, honorary coach. Yeah, so he was there. Todd and I were there. We had we had our Milwaukee guys there. Oh yeah, and we're playing for this. And I, I think we were. I think we were. We were. Uh, I think we were up six four or down. I think we were up six four going into the third, and it was hard to watch. I'm telling you, like, it was hard to coach. And you know, I learned a valuable lesson that you just don't bother coaching. And and I was okay till the game started, and I thought, okay. Then I thought, oh, I can't watch this. This is this is pathetic. We didn't. <laughs> we weren't working. We had all these guys that were really high skilled playing this. wasn't even shinny hockey, which is like summer hockey. It was unreal. And I remember going in, and, and he's right. And I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't control myself anymore. I went in <laughs> after the second period when I was talking to him, Marcel Dion. Must have thought it's an all star. <laughs> this game. guy's nuts. And I thought, yeah, I don't care. I said, yeah, I said to the team, I said, I might be the first coach in the history of all star games to snap an elastic. I said, <laughs> I'm gonna try. I'm, I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try to keep things under control here. But I said. We gotta be a lot better than that. Well, we ended up. Bruce Boutreau was the other coach, and we lot we lot ended up losing. We were not happy. And I, you know, I just for me it was it was not so much the money so much, but just the way we played. I was like, oh my god, somebody shoot me! I can't coach like this. And you know, and you have to when you coach all star games. You're better to just control yourself and just have fun just just have fun and that's really that's why I don't much as all-star games are and it's hard for me to, to 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 watch your team play that way oh my goodness and our guys were so our guys practiced hard played hard all the time there's and they were used to me so I think when when I told them that I might be the only guy that snaps an elastic and Oh, I wasn't happy. They knew I wasn't happy. And I thought, I'm going to try to keep this together for the third. But, oh, boy. I thought, I'm going to start benching some of you. Oh. How, well, how he, and you, you were right. He was, that, that was Simon Gamache. He was not happy. <laughs> how difficult was it for you to leave when you, went in when you left in 2007 to go to Columbus? Was it a, you're going from a head coach to an assistant coach job? Is there a shelf life, did you think, it, it, it being a head coach? I mean, you won a championship. You made it uh, to you another. Know, yeah, you know what, Aaron? My, both my kids were uh, done high school. And uh, I'd been there four years as an assistant, went one year to, to, to Toledo, and then came back four years as a head coach and had some decent success. 
it, uh, it was hard to leave Milwaukee, but what I was trying to figure out in my own world, my own mind was, um, I'm 54 years old or whatever I was at that time. And I thought, you know what, if I don't get to the National Hockey League in some capacity, I felt I could coach there uh, as a head coach. And I knew I wouldn't get hired as a head coach. I'd probably get hired as an assistant. My chances of becoming a head coach, maybe, but but I'm on the clock. And uh, it's funny because uh, I talked to Lane there a couple of weeks ago, Lane Lambert, and I was telling him he's, he's 54, 55, and, you know, and I think he, he has, he'd like to also get a sniff or a chance sure. at it there. So, you know, but now he's in this, this Corona thing we're in. And so he's on the clock and I thought, well, I just, I went through that. So it was a little bit difficult, but my last year there, I'd got a call from Ken Hitchcock in November. He'd got let go from the flyers and I had worked with him in Kalamazoo, Michigan, 10 years previous to that. So he had called me and said, if I get a job, there's three teams after me right now. If I get a job um, in a national league, would you be able to come with me? And I thought, oh, well, I'm not sure if I could get out of that deal, you know, or out of the deal. So, and but it never came to fruition. And when the season was over, I went uh, in the summertime. I went to development camp in Nashville, and I just walked in the door first day, day one. And David Poyle said, whoa, he said, you must be special. He said, because uh, Columbus just called and wants to bring you in as their assistant coach. No interview, no nothing. And like, really? Yeah. And I was like, whoa. Okay. So this was, uh, yeah, this was when, you know, what condition development camp was right after the draft. So it would have been early July. Beginning July. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so I was pretty excited about that, you know, and so because I was getting a chance to go up and, and get a chance to work with Ken Hitchcock again and and uh, and maybe maybe take a, a run at being a head coach again. But as you know, things don't always go as planned. And I was there three years. Ken ended up getting fired, and I, I finished the last 20-some games. And then there was four guys up for the job. There was myself, Kevin Deneen. Uh, Guy Boucher and Scott Arneal and then Guy Boucher had taken the job uh, in Tampa and then they hired Scott Arneal who was in with the Manitoba Moose right. playing against us right. and I had another year in my contract and I said I'm out of here I'm, I'm out of here I have no interest in returning he wanted me to talk to Scott just to you know Scott Arneal and I was like no, no disrespect to Scott I just I got to get back to being head coach the assistant coaching thing wasn't, and I and my owner in Dayton, Ohio, when I was there for two years, he told me, you're not an assistant coach, and that always stuck with me, but that was my last time I was assistant coach, and I that was the end, but I didn't want that, that role again, and I, I'm just a better head coach, and so I wanted to get back to, to being a head coach, and, and so, you know, I ended up, uh, Scott Arneal got the job there, and uh, I didn't, and so I gave in my last year, and I and I had a criteria of the things that I wanted to, you know, job to try to go to. I wanted to be a head coach. I wanted to go to a place where hockey was important in in the American League. If you know, if you as important as you can get at that level, the minor leagues is the minor leagues. You know, I wanted to get better at uh, 
working with the media because because I that was new to me, and uh, and the guy that called me right away was Craig Heisinger. I just got home and Craig Heisinger was the GM in Manitoba with the Moose, yeah. who had just yep. lost Scott Arneal, so he knew he had right. he coach. He was affiliated with Vancouver, and then Mike Gillies called me right after. And I said, you know, Mike, I said, no disrespect, but this was on a Monday, I think. And I said, you know, I said, listen, why don't we talk again on, on Wednesday? I, I just need a couple of days to fi figure this out. And so he, he called. And so, so I'd been contacted by quite a few teams. So that was encouraging. That was good for my self-esteem, if nothing else. Right. And um, I end up, we end up leaving uh, Columbus and then going up to uh, Manitoba Moose to work with Vancouver and develop their, their players up there. And then, lo and behold, and somebody said this to me in December, and with the Moose, you know, it's a smart move for you. This team might get a franchise. And I didn't move I didn't move there because they might have a chance to get an NHL franchise. That never even crossed my mind. Right. I was only going there for the criteria that I had. You know, I, yeah. I wanted to be head coach again. And so they got a team, and then, you know, things – you know, fell into place and I ended up getting the job. So, so it was hard leaving Milwaukee because I liked Milwaukee. It was home for us. We had been there 10 years pretty much with the kids. Our, the kids grew up there. They, they really did. They moved uh, once in their whole schooling. So that was pretty good for them. We went, we were in Kalamazoo five years, went to Milwaukee for pretty much nine years. They didn't move. I went to Toledo. They stayed there and Ray called me up and said, "You know, would you consider coming back to Milwaukee as I, I, I've as, always the head, to... as the head as the head coach as the head coach?" And I'm like, "Hello, you know, yeah. <laughs> my kids and my family's still there. I can move right back into my house." Right. right. I've always wondered about that. You get you and Dave get let go at the same time, and then like, how was it? Ray was Ray the the the, the assistant GM at the time, uh, so Ray lets you go, and then he yeah. hires you back. Yeah, well, what had happened was, what had happened was, with, with Dave and I, it, it, we, it, it didn't, it, it went fine our first year. There was a lot of, there was a lot of shrapnel, to put it mildly, all over the place with our group for the two years. There was a lot of complaining with players and agents and all kinds of stuff. And there was, Ray had come down in February and wanted to meet one-on-one -on -one with everybody and, you know, and then... David was going to make a decision. Our contracts were up. And uh, I remember, I remember exactly where I was. I was in Home Depot when I got the call from David and my, my wife, Linda was there. And uh, I gave her the thumbs down that he was going to make a change. And he had three choices, you know, fire both of us, hire just one of us, let the other guy go and uh, like whatever the other third choice was, but or hire somebody else. I'm not sure. But anyway, uh, so I thought, Oh, here we go again. You know, And it's hard when you're an assistant coach at the American league level, you, you got a little, it's, it's hard because uh, you got to start back up again, try and get yourself a job again. You're probably not going to be at that level unless you know somebody. So you're going to go back and I was fed up. I, I was fed up of being an assistant coach. I was just tired of being an assistant coach. It had nothing to do with the coaches I worked with. I had, it had played its course. I, four years, I was ready to be a head coach, and I was done. And I, so I had interviewed in Kamloops in the Western League, didn't know anybody in Kamloops. Hitch got me the, uh, the interview, 
and that went quite well, but I never got that job. And I ended up working with Mike Miller, who, who was the radio guy when I was with the Toledo Gold Diggers. Well, he now was the GM of the Toledo Storm in the East Coast League. And he called me up, and so I interviewed there, and I got the job there. And so um, I ended up going back there. But I was so pumped to get back to being a head coach. And I knew the league. I'd been in the league three years, removed for 10, and then back. And I thought, okay. So I had a fair amount of experience. So when I went back, I knew all about recruiting, and I knew locations, and I knew all that stuff. And so I recruited a whole new team. But we, we had had, and they had an affiliation with Detroit. So it was Detroit, Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids, Toledo. But the Admirals didn't have an affiliation in the East Coast League. They didn't have one anywhere. Because I remember, because Ray and I were always working trying to get players, but they weren't our players when we were trying to get them for the Admirals as call-up guys. We'd have to get them on loan. You know, sure. Rich Peverly and those guys, you know. So – uh, well, that was that was before that, but uh, but uh, the first thing I did after they let me go, the first thing I did, when I got the job in Toledo, first thing I did is I called Ray and I said, Ray, you don't have an affiliation, and I'd like you, you guys as an affiliation because I knew all the players, I knew who all the young guys were, and so first thing we did was got an affiliation. So let me talk to David, talk to David. So now I was I was working as a under Milwaukee, so it was Nashville, Milwaukee, Milwaukee, Toledo, and we had. Ryan Finley and Anderson, and uh, we, we had quite a few guys down there and some good young players. The Dvorak, I think, was down there, and then the defenseman, big defenseman. Uh, but uh, we had, we had some, some good – so I had two really good affilia, affiliations, and the way it worked out, it worked out great for me because we took that team from 26 to first overall in the league. I won coach of the year. We had a good year. We didn't win it there some injuries at the end, but we, we, and then I got a chance to work with Ray directly and uh, Dan McKinnon was part of the Nashville's organization. Sure. He lived in Toledo. So he'd come to watch us play. So the players developed and we developed a, a relationship where I was the head coach, not the assistant. And I was so ready to coach. And I, and I, I coached that team like they were an American league team. And we had 11 rookies on that team. We had some good young players and I recruited some, good young players and Toledo's not an easy place to recruit players because they've got choices. And if you want to play golf, you're not going to Toledo. Not play going golf to Toledo. No, 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 it's not happening. So we, uh, well, so that, well, what happened in Nashville was that Paul Gardner was one of the two assistant coach along with Brent Peterson and they had made a change. They had talked to, to Paul Gardner about some things they wanted changing and they're going to wait a year. The Admirals had hired Peter Horacek, who had won a, 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 a cup with Orlando, Orlando. and Trenton, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. And so uh, he came in, and that was Darren Hadar's Rookie of the Year season. And uh, so he did quite well there. So, so they, what they did, they let Paul Gardner go. They, they brought Peter up. Barry had talked to me about that job. There was three of us up for that job in Nashville and uh, the assistant's job. And, and so they brought Peter in and, so it was an opening there, and then that's when Ray said, "You know, would you consider coming back?" I was like, "Oh my God!" But and, you know, and it was it was good because what was really good for me, I was 54, I had a fair bit of experience, but I knew the situation in Milwaukee. I knew the team, I knew the players, so there was no real adjust. I knew I knew the whole staff. I was familiar with with uh, Paul Fenton, with the uh, with Ray, with 
David. So it was, it was just, it was seamless. And I don't know if you guys remember that year, but I remember that year because it was my first year and because we won. But the biggest thing I remember that year was well, a couple things is that I got the chance to work with Ray, uh, Ray Shiro uh, full time. And I couldn't believe how good he was at maneuvering the roster and how he, and we laugh to this day, because I say to him, you know, you, you have an ability to put people on the shelf. He, he just kind of stores you over there on the shelf. And when he wants to pluck you, he comes in and he takes you off the shelf. So Brad Tiley didn't have a job. He was looking for a job, making X amount of money, trying to get more. So Ray had thought, if you're still there in October or whatever, so sure enough, the season starts. We're, you know, would you have any interest with Brad Tiley? I guess we would for sure. Tony Herkus, same thing, had him on the shelf. Tony was hoping to get a land an NHL job, was down in Florida. And I can't remember when he came, it was like November. He said, would you have interest in Tony Herkus? Hello. You know, so <laughs> we brought him in. We, 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 really, we really improved our team. Like, he really built our team. We brought in Sa- Safranoff and Gamash. We traded. Yep. Yeah, that was a good trade for us. That was for Benny Simon, I think it was. Yep. Ben, ben Simon and uh, Thomas Klocek. Klocek. Klocek played in Nashville, and uh, yeah, so yeah, I, and so neither, those guys went to Atlanta. Yep, and we got like you say, uh, Safranoff and Gamash, and yeah, uh, neither Simon nor Klocek ever played a game for the Wolves. So the Wolves lose two of their best players and get nothing in return. That worked out pretty good for us. Exactly. Well, yes, and it did work out good. And I remember, I remember playing the Wolves. That's that that series because they were they were the enemy all the time down the road and right and you know what they I used to I used to joke that uh, you know our predators organization you know they shop at the Nordstrom's we shop at Kmart you know for players <laughs> thing, you know because our budgets weren't the same like they no. had a six million dollar budget we had a one million dollar budget what's the same animal right and so and, and I remember telling the team if we're gonna have a chance we have to go through Chicago Wolves. That's just the way it is. It's in our division, and we're going to have to go through them. And I remember playing that series the first year. Letton was in Nets. I mean, we had seventy shots on on them. Right. Couldn't score. Yeah, and we we ended up we ended up beating them that game. Thank God, but we ended up getting past Chicago Wolves. And one of the reasons was was well those those two players we got from them. But our our guys were good, and our guys worked. Yeah, so that yeah. But Ray, Ray had done a, a masterful job of getting players and bringing certain guys in and guys that could help us and I remember he'd, he'd ask me once a month once every two months what do you need what are you looking for what do you need what do you sense you need you know and he always had guys around and we could bring guys in and yeah it was it was awesome yeah they, it was that was the year that was the year we had a really good team that year we had Curtis Murphy and Tony and Darren Hadar and Matthew Darsh and you know Klassen and Brett uh, Gamash you go down the list with we had some good Pivko and Upshaw and Hutchinson. Oh, and we, we had we had some really good players. We had, we had toughness. We had we had we had a well-rounded team. And it's an interesting story. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this well, but we played Cincinnati in the first round of that year. Down three to one. Yeah. Story, but, wow. Yeah. Yeah. No, we were down. Yeah. Three. Uh, 
Three to two. Three games to one. Three two. Three to three, two. Three two. Because here's how it went. So Todd and I are buried into tape and trying to figure. And we this is the first series. We're playing the first series against Cincinnati. We we had won first overall in the league. They were fourth or whatever in our division. We played them. We couldn't get a handle on the on. We never controlled that series. And I remember I was meeting in February. This is going back a bit. So we're in February of the league, and I'm going through my different stages of coaching and trying to pass, I don't want to get into that, but trying to pass the team over to the players. So I, I meet in a room in the back of uh, the locker room, in the back there's a small little meeting room, I think it was a wives' room. We met there with the players, the leadership group. There were six guys. We met in there with Todd, myself, and the six players. And I said, hey, here's, here's the stage we're in. We're in this performing stage. Here's what has to happen here. I'm, I'm ready to pass this 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 uh, team over to the leadership group. I don't pass it over to you. It's it's literally, I'm still coaching the team, but this is where you guys have to try to help each other because it's your team. You win and lose, not because of the coach, because of the room and the because of the strength of your group and the culture and, and the accountability you have amongst each other. And so we're talking about that and how it's going to go and, this and that. And I said, oh, I'm going to still be there coaching, but sometimes you guys got to stand up on the bench and go, Hey, we need to get going or, or to a, a particular individual, we need to get going or this or that. Or, you know. So I said, okay, well, let's, let's, let's try this for 10 games. Let's see how we do. So we play the 10 games. We end up seven, two and one. So I called the guys back in and I said, how, how do you think we did? We had a good team. We had the better team. So they're like, wow, I think we did pretty good. Yeah. And Ray Schultz was our captain. Murph, the, the leadership was, was Murph and other guys. And Wade Flaherty was one of the guys because he was 34, 35. He was also in there. And they said, oh, pretty good, you know, 7, 2, and 1, you know, or did pretty good. You know, I said, and I wasn't happy because we didn't judge our, our team and our game by the score. We always judged it by the standard that we had. We had a standard of work, a standard of play. And I said, that's bull. I said, that, that, that's bullshit. I said, I, I, I don't think we've done well at all. We won because we're the better team. And the roster that we have and the opponent was just okay. But I said, you guys haven't managed, managed squat. I said, you guys have just gone along. We've won because we're winning. Now we're 7-2-1. and one. You think we're doing good. So they said, oh, okay. He said, well, give us a weekend to try to fix this. So we took the next two or three games they were a lot better. We did the things we've set out to do. And off we went. We were good right till the end. And then we play Cincinnati and we chase the series. And it's not going good. And so we turn around and uh, I remember we're down 2-1. And I'm thinking we're down 2-1 or anyway. I can't remember what it was. But we were down and we chased the series. I think we, we, we brought it back to 2-2. And then we're playing the game, game five in Cincinnati. So it had been 2-3-2. Two, two. Yep. So we're playing game five in Cincinnati. Todd and I are working our fingers to the bone, got the tape, we got everything set up. We're all pumped. We're all ready to go. And so we got the big meeting and we're going. We got, we're all keyed up, ready to go. We play the game and we don't show up again in Cincinnati. We lose three one five three whatever it was and i am distraught i am in deep depression because i'm thinking we're down three two and this is the best we could come up with 
are you kidding me? Right. And I remember telling the guys in February, the trade deadline is in 10 days. If we don't get this thing right, I don't care. We have a good team here. I'm not losing with this team. Not this team. So in February, and I wasn't threatening them, but there was, we were getting a little, the dark days of friggin' February, and it was too lackadaisical. And I said, you know, we're ready to do whatever we can, but we got too good a team to pass this opportunity up. So I am distraught, and I'm, we're driving back from Cincinnati five hours, whatever it was, and, and I'm like, I don't know if I spoke eight words. I didn't sleep the next, that whole bus trip home, got home late. I can't remember we practiced, but the next, not the next day, the day after we have a day, we're going down to practice. And I still, and that's your job as a coach, trying to find solutions to this problem. problem. And I couldn't figure it out. I I talked to Todd, talked to the players. We, We couldn't figure it out. And I, I couldn't, I couldn't figure it out. And I'm driving to practice, and I'm thinking, what are you gonna do? What you know? This is when your team needs you to find a solution and to get this thing on track. You can't just hope that this changes. With that, we did that for five games. We didn't coach that way. That's just the way it was. And we, uh, we were. I wasn't happy at all. I remember driving down to the rink. So that's a 20 minute drive for me. And then a bulb went off in my head. And I thought, you know what? We're back at the same space we were in February. And what happened in February is our leaders weren't playing very well. And that's when I went after them and talked about the trade deadline and talked about their games and leading our team. You need to bring your A game, blah, blah, blah. So I go down to the rink and I thought, I said, I talked to Todd. I said, you know what? I said, we're back at that same area we were in February. And so I brought the leadership group back into the room. And I said, do you remember this room? Remember we were back here in February? I said, you know what? We're exact, some, you know, some bad words in there too. This is not all, (laughs) this is not all clean, as clean as it sounds. But, and I was not happy. And I said, I am not happy. I said, the problem with our team is that you guys are a leadership group and you're not playing where the hoot. And I went around every guy and told them what they were playing. You're a C, you got a B game, you got a C game, you got a C game, flats, you got an A game. You know, this, that guy, this guy, I was not happy. And I tore into them and said, this is bull. And I said, I'm sitting here, having slept in three days, trying to figure out what's wrong with this team. I'll tell you what's wrong with this team. You guys aren't driving the team. You're not leading this team at all. You bring your A games, we'll be fine. And then we went out and played, and we played real well. It was just like, boom, boom. We won the next two games by two, three goals. It was, we took over then, and then then it was just like, here we go. And it was like, boom, boom, it's clockwork. And, you know, it wasn't clockwork. I mean, we, we had to rely on each other, and, I, you know, how can you forget that Rochester series where Flaherty was over the top? We got outshot every game, but he carried us through the series, and that's what you need. And we played seven overtime games that year, won all seven. Yeah, and that's that's what you need to win a championship. You got to have some things going for you. No doubt, no doubt, Claude. We could do this another three days, I think, but we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna wrap it up right now. Uh, 
thanks so much for the time. Uh, hope to you and your family stay healthy. We, uh, we, we, we look forward to doing this again some, sometime soon. Hey, guys, always a pleasure. Good talking to you, bringing back those great stories. Always good to be a winner. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. Thank you right, so much, Claude. Have a good one, guys. Eh? Okay, uh, guys, have a good one. That's Claude Noel. We'll wrap things up. Thanks for listening to the Milwaukee Admirals podcast. <laughs>